It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Of course, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, our good friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Hi, Jake. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks as always for jumping on, and it feels like we've got a ton to get to this week. But let's start uh, with the Utah Jazz, Sam, and kind of gauge uh, your thoughts on how they're playing. They're all alone in second place. Uh, they've won 18 of their last 20, which just uh, feels crazy to say. Over the past a little over a month, they're in fir- or, uh, the first team in most major statistical offensive categories. And now that the schedule is going to be getting a lot more difficult, it feels like they're playing their best basketball. How are you feeling about the Jazz right now? I'm feeling like I need to book a blessed uh, trip to Salt Lake City. That's, That's what, what I'm I like thinking, to man. hear. I, I need to, yeah, like it's, <laughs> you know, they look good. Um, obviously, a lot of that, most of that stretch came without Mike Conley, and that's the most impressive part. And then, you know, uh, and I haven't studied them in terms of, you know, actually doing film work since he came back, but, it, you know, they still haven't missed a beat. They look good. I mean, the continuity that we've talked about so many times is shining through and then the new wrinkles. Um, I looked at the standings earlier today and that's when I first noticed that they had crept up into that second spot. And that's, uh, it's just crazy how the regular season ebbs and flows so much. Cause it feels like it wasn't very long ago that, that they were an underachieving team. Um, it's funny as a quick aside, Jake, I, uh, like I have a fun little interview with Donovan Mitchell that I might have actually shared with you guys literally like more than a month ago that uh, as it stands is, is going to finally see the light of day tomorrow, but it's all because like they're playing so darn well that now it's, it was a positive interview and there was a time when it didn't really uh, fit, you know, with what was happening with the team. Well, Sam, and uh, I'm glad you bring that up because we can talk about how the bench has gotten better and we can talk about how well Joe Ingles is playing in the starting lineup and certainly Rudy Gobert uh, has been incredible. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell has kind of navigated the team through that hard stretch. And and really, he uh, I bring this up all the time, Sam, but he thanks every teammate in his post-game comments where people are just asking about Donovan, like, hey, Donovan, why are you so great? And he says, actually, you know what? Royce O'Neal is great. And George Niang is great. And he does it every single post-game, which I, I think is amazing. But it, it just seems like he's grown so much as a player where he picks his spots and and you know gets others involved and then dominates in the fourth quarter uh when he has to it it's just if he's he's a no doubt all-star in the west in my mind and i know i'm close to it but he's just been so great this year he's been great you know and those the, the personality stuff that you are alluding to you just there's not a stat for it there's no way to quantify it um but it's extremely valuable and i think later in our chat you know we're gonna talk about the Clippers and all the issues they're having. And, and I wrote something about that this week, but it, it makes me think of a player like Donovan and a personality like Donovan in that context, because, um, you know, he has leadership qualities when he has bad nights, 
you know, his teammates will be, uh, call it more forgiving or just kind of more supportive because of the way he handles himself. And that type of kind of all hands on deck, um, trying to lift everybody up type of approach just really makes a difference over the course of an entire season because we forget sometimes, yeah, they make a ton of money. Yes, they're blessed to be in those positions. But, man, this season is long, and they see each other you know, far more than they see their own families. And so to have a guy who just is kind of wired the way he is, I think definitely is, is huge for their culture. All right, I want to ask you some specific questions about uh, some of the Jazz upcoming opponents because they've got some really good ones on their schedule coming up. But you alluded to the work you guys are doing there at The Athletic, uh, talking about what's going on with the, the Clippers right now and kind of set the scene uh, give us kind of the highlights of, of what's going on, a little drama in L.A. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll put it that way. And it's not – it's funny because, you know, if the Clippers wanted – they could probably accuse us of, you know, like saying this is something we should have written a week ago um, because it has gotten a little bit better of late. But the reality is that we tried to write a story that – you know, that painted the picture and pulled the curtain back on their internal evolution as a team. And the, the fact that you had a bunch of players left over from their team last season that overachieved and that took a lot of pride in basically, you know, waking up in the morning and chewing on glass because they were gritty and they never took days off. And that was their mentality with, you know, Lou Williams, Pat Beverly, Montrez Harrell, and the rest of that crew. Then you get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George now the entire approach changes. The regular season only matters so much. Uh, Kawhi, for you know health and physical reasons, is going to take days off pretty routinely. Um, there's also going to be, and this happens with star players, that there's going to be, and an, you know, like an element of preferential treatment organizationally. Uh, the, just the reality is that, in that you know, organizations like the Clippers, the Rockets have some of this, the Lakers have this, you know, whether it's James Harden, LeBron James. Kawhi, Paul George, like, no, they're not getting treated the exact same way by everybody. Uh, they're the stars. And so that is the culture. Somebody that we talked to with the team had phrased it as a, a funky collision uh, of the old and the new. And doesn't by any means mean that they're not, I mean, they're in a great spot standings-wise. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about this type of thing and, uh, you know, and they're sitting there at, let's see here, 31 and 14, you know, these are first-world basketball problems, but uh, there are a lot of interesting dynamics there. Well, and Doc Rivers, it seemed like he, he was so good uh, last year and did such a good job with that underachieving bunch. And I, I you look back in his his past, and he's overcome this type of challenge in Boston, right? And then with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, that time it, it got a little bit clunky. And so I, I guess what an interesting challenge for him, who's certainly a, a more than capable head coach, but uh, boy, uh, you know, merging those two things, like with no priority from game to game sometimes with the, the old school that had such high priority on showing up with their lunch pail, that's got to be one of the more difficult coaching situations in the league this year. No, I agree. And he did a wonderful job last year, and then it's so different this year. I mean, even last night, Jake, if you look at the fact that they had won eight out of ten games, they go into Atlanta and Paul George and Pat Beverly are on the shelf for injury reasons. And then uh, because it's a back-to-back, Kawhi is going to sit. 
Now, and there, there was some of this when he was in Toronto, too. Like, listen, there are occasionally people in the room who get a little frustrated by that. They think on a night when you're down a couple of players, maybe you could bend your own load management rules and just go, you know, just kind of go gut it out. And lo and behold, they lose to the Hawks. So that's the dynamic that is tricky. And Doc is, you know, Doc is, is now basically trying to control as much of this as possible. Guarantee you he's not happy whatsoever. I mean, we reported this, that when Montrezl Harrell back on January 4th had a really candid media session uh, with the, the video is in our story where it's like really you watch those three minutes of Montrez talking and he kind of spills the beans on all of this stuff internally and true, you know, full disclosure. Yes. When, when that happened, we started digging to find out what was behind his comments and, you know, doc lit into him at practice the next day, told him to keep their stuff in house. But uh, this is all the stuff that they're working through. This is a really broad, more curiosity question. Uh, you've uh, covered so many teams, been in, around the NBA for for so long. But how much does does locker room chemistry ultimately matter? And I, I think back to like the Kobe Shaq era, where they won regardless, uh, right up until they didn't. Right? Uh, you know, overall, how much do you value locker room chemistry? Um, I think it matters a lot. You know, I mean, yeah, the Kobe Shaq situation gets brought up most often in trying to indicate that it doesn't matter. And I get that, you know, I mean, and even you hear people say that you have to respect one another. Well, I don't even know if Kobe and Shaq, they didn't retain the respect during that stretch and they still got it done, you know, quite a, quite a few times. Um, I think this is maybe a little bit of recency bias, but you go back to last year's NBA finals and I was covering those games in Toronto and you had teetering chemistry within the Warriors locker room. And, you know, when Kevin Durant, this is a little bit similar, when Kevin Durant got hurt and everybody was waiting for him to come back on the Warriors team, you know, I'd reported at the time a little bit similar to this where, like, there was a little frustration, like, when are we going to see him? And a little bit of questioning of one another. And that is a culture thing. That is a that is the kind of thing that um, kind of leads to teams potentially fraying and not getting the job done, you know, when the pressure is at its peak. So, again, that's another one of those things that's tough to quantify, but I do think it matters. All right, Sam, uh, in this next stretch for the Utah Jazz, they play, uh, which is kind of funny, but they play four teams twice, and I want to ask you really about three of them because they're three of the the best stories going in the league right now. And I want to start with Saturday's opponent where they'll take on the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic uh, will be in town, and they just suffered an injury with Dwight Powell, and you got to feel terrible about that with an Achilles because he was really a, a, a big piece for them. Uh, but but talk about uh, Doncic for a second, and is is this, is this a player, because you stormed on the scene as such a young guy, is this a player that you think the league will eventually figure out and he'll have to evolve from there? Or is he such a, uh, I guess, dynamic all-around player that he's going to do this for the long term? Um, it's tough to tell. He's pretty darn convincing this year that this is who he is. And, you know, the guy was the youngest EuroLeague MVP ever. Uh, his team was EuroLeague champion. He, you know, to lead the Real Madrid team in the way that he did at such a young age, I think at that time, 17, 18, um, that, I mean, that's a, that's a man's league. And I know stateside 
unless you really dive in and know the game, it's like people don't really know what that means. And it's like, it's the second best level of basketball out there. And that matters. And, but, but his stats didn't pop like this. And uh, so, you know, some people didn't know. I think it's legit. I mean, do I think the guy's going to average a 30 point triple double for his whole career? No, but do I, you know, I think he's going to be a 25, eight and eight guy. Um, and, and that's basically LeBron territory right there. So, He's incredible, and he's only getting better. He's extremely young. You know, his competitiveness is something that you hear a ton about. And I know that sounds cliche. Aren't these all, all these guys competitive? And it's like, yeah, but there's some, the Kobe types, the MJ types, uh, the LeBron. I mean, LeBron's kind of wired differently, but ultra competitive where it's different. And so last week, I forget who Dallas was playing, but uh, Luka got upset about a play, and he literally rips his jersey you know, and it's just like, you know, you don't need the histrionics, but it also is like, oh boy, like he kind of snaps competitively and really, really, really wants to win. And I keep hearing that about him, that he runs pretty hot and, and that, that ultimately drives him. So incredible player. Is uh, is Porzingis a good Robin to his Batman? I don't know yet. Um, I would say not great right now. I know the, the Mavs rave about him, but I think part of that is honestly political. They're trying to lift him up trying to get him as comfortable as possible, and they know that he is going to have to sacrifice and already has a pretty great deal to be that guy. And so they just they try to pump him up in that regard whenever they talk to reporters, um, talk about you know all these intangible ways that he impacts the game, the rim defense, um, stretching the floor as a 7'3 guy. But it's been hit and miss with him. And, it's, it's you know again, it's a little bit like you talk about the Clippers, and the culture adjustment, like Porzingis, not that long ago, before his injury, was a franchise centerpiece. I mean, there weren't that many people in the NBA getting the unicorn label like he was getting. And now he's gone from, you know, the unicorn to the, you know, a little bit of the, the, the goat that's carrying everything here. And uh, I think that's a work in progress. So I'm not sure yet what I think is of how that tandem is going to be long term. The Jazz have the Rockets twice on the horizon, and I know they beat Denver last night, but they had lost four consecutive games before that. And it still seems, Sam, like Russell Westbrook may be different than Chris Paul, but it still seems like the same problem where James Harden is is so much a part of that team offensively that it, they're just going to go as far as he single-handedly can take them. Is Am I misreading that? No, uh, the missing component, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating because, like, what you said is accurate, but the major distinction is that it's still, I mean, it had a, a severe personality difference as an offense where Russell Westbrook and what he does to your pace is polar opposite of what they had last year with Chris Paul. They wanted to pick it up. They're a much faster team now. You know, Russ has been garbage from long distance, uh, but – in transition, you know, he is a threat and he changes the way they play. And so the question that matters is, is playoff time from a matchup standpoint and then a stylistic standpoint, you know, does that get you any farther against the, you know, specific opponents that they wind up running into than the slow it down uh, approach? I mean, James last season had more possessions where, you know, it was dribbling 15 seconds of the clock step back three uh, that's happening less this year because a lot of times if if Russ gets his hands on the rebound or gets the ball in transition they get out and go and it's a it's kind of a you know not even seven seconds or less offense it's like four or five 
So that part is different, but it's wild how if you study their offensive numbers, it's almost identical from a year ago in totality. And then finally, I want to ask you about the Nuggets, who they also have twice coming up. And I, I don't know why I'm constantly talking myself into liking Denver. I don't know uh, if you want to call it doubt. Um, and, and it's really not fair because they put together, you, you know, multiple really, really nice seasons. But I guess, is Nikola Jokic a good enough uh, number one to get them to where they want to go? Meaning he's a, he's kind of a point center, right? Is, conceptually, can that get them to an NBA Finals? I think it can, yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't know if they can get them over the top. I think it's got to, you know, they've built it nicely. Uh, they've built out around him, and it, you have to have the depth. You have to have the shooting, and you know. But yes, to your question, I don't think it's a popular narrative. But basketball wise, I think him at his best um, could get the job done. Now it's a little bit like the Rockets question, or even the Dallas question. You, you focus on that second star. So that to me is where the Nuggets run into trouble. Jamal Murray, when he's hot, you know, I'll, I'll tune in for that every day of the week, but he's a very inconsistent player at times. Um, and they just don't have, you know, a more established second co-star. I mean, Nikola Jokic is a fringe MVP candidate and he's going to be, I think every year, but um, the rest of it, it's a kind of the sum being greater than the sum, or the, the whole being greater than some of the parts. And I don't know if that's the, the, the type of formula that, that gets you to the final. But uh, Nicola, for me, is not the part that I question. And then, of course, Sam, I've uh, got to ask you about Zion's debut last night. Uh, certainly, if for no other reason than it was unique. It, it got off to a little bit of a slow start and then just a fury in the fourth quarter. Where are you at now on, on Zion and his um, – I, I guess, uh, like how high, or, or I guess are we overblowing this whole thing, to put it simply? No, I don't think so. I think the only thing, you know, just crossing your fingers that he doesn't blow something out again. That's it. You know what I mean? Just I want him to be healthy. Um, he's such a unique talent. You know, he did an interview with ESPN the other day, a podcast where he, he referred to himself as he's one of one, meaning – that he's just incredibly unique, and it's, it's everything from his body shape and physique to talent and his skill set. And, you know, I'm a believer. I mean, in that game last night, I mean, that was some of the most exciting nine minutes I've ever seen out of one player and made even more interesting because they have all these medical restrictions on him and Pelicans coach Alvin Gentry was sitting there in a between a rock and a hard place where his guy – has caught fire and the medical team is telling him to take him out because he went past his, you know, the, the minutes limit in terms of the stretch they wanted him to play. And you got a whole crowd full of people going, don't you dare take him out. This kid is magical. And so um, that's going to be the push and the pull for him going forward. And again, I just hope he stays healthy. I mean, the one thing I keep highlighting when I talk to people about him is, and everybody who sees this is like that second jump he has, like that tells you why he's different. And not to mention he hits four threes last night. That's impressive. But like he had that one possession down on the block. He missed kind of a small bunny and getting the offensive rebound. Like he just, it was like an episode out of the, the flash where he just kind of warped past everybody, grabbed the offensive board and put it back in. You know, his, his kind of fast twitch stuff is incredible. 
He's already hit twice as many threes in his career as Ben Simmons. How about that? <laughs> Fun fact. That's pretty wild. Fun fact. Uh, Sam, thank you very much, as always. I uh, want to encourage all of our listeners to check out, uh, especially that piece on the Clippers up at The Athletic. Really, really interesting stuff. And thank you, as always, for jumping on with us, Sam. You got it. Thanks, Jake. Talk to you next week. All right, buddy. We'll see you. There's uh, the great Sam Amick from The Athletic. And interesting how, how uh, you know, the, the handling of Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George, but but mainly Kawhi Leonard has, has disrupted what, or maybe not disrupted, but it's been difficult to merge his philosophy when it comes to the approach to the, the, the NBA game and his health with what that uh, identity of that Clippers team was last year. And he, I picked the Clippers to, to uh, finish number one in the West, and maybe that was something I should have considered, the merging of those two philosophies. Maybe that was something that was not always going to go smoothly. So check out Sam's piece at The Athletic. He's also got it up on, on his Twitter uh, if you want to uh, check that out as well, at Sam underscore Amick. We'll have more straight ahead on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.